All right, you guys ready? All right, let's do something here with me. I want you, I want you to think about your own life. Think about the times in your life when things were getting rough. Think about the times when life was just hard. And you had circumstances that are around you that were completely out of your control. And when you have those types of of situations within your life where you feel like things are completely out of your control, what the natural progression for us is that we have fear that begins to step in. Fear begins to step in when we have that time when, when, when things are out of our control. I think about my own life, and I think about a few of those times in my life that stand out to me. I remember when I was nine years old, uh, my dad and I were in the living room watching The Price is Right with Bob Barker. Remember when Bob Barker was there? We're watching The Price is Right, and my dad had a heart attack in the living room. And uh, I remember the paramedics got called, and our neighbor came over and took me and my sister and took us over to her house. And she wouldn't let us look out the window. She wouldn't let us do anything as the paramedics came and took my dad and took him to the hospital where he eventually died. This is one of those times when the circumstances were out of my control. And I had this fear that came over me because I had no clue what was happening. Had no clue what would come next. I remember another time, for me, it was, uh, it was a few months after graduation. Samantha and I were, were just a few months away from getting married. And I went to work early one morning and was at work. And uh, remember hearing on the TV that there was two airplanes that had smashed into the Twin Towers. And the Twin Towers were, were, were falling down. And I remember America was under attack. And I remember taking a break and sitting in the break room watching this unfold on the television. And I was overcome with this fear because this was something that was out of my control. This is something that that I was so fearful. I was 3,000 miles away from what was happening, but I felt so afraid. I had to call Samantha. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm five minutes from where you're at. I mean, of course I'm okay. But there was this fear that came over me because these circumstances were completely out of my control. As we open up God's word today, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter four. Uh, If you need a Bible, we've got an usher in the back. We'd love to be able to come and bring one of these up to you. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter four. Uh, If you have uh, one of these Bibles like me, one of the hardbacks, uh, we're going to be on page... uh, I should actually turn there so I can tell you what page we're on. I'm going to do that right now. We're going to be on page 839, page 839. In our text today, what we're going to find is we're going to find Jesus. He had these 12 disciples. These were guys that Jesus pulled aside, and Jesus said, you know, I want to pour into these guys. I want to invest in these guys because it's these guys that I'm going to use to change the world, to turn the world upside down. And so in our text today, we find these 12 disciples in a a boat. And really, they're in the perfect storm. And they feel the fear that comes from the circumstances that are completely out of their control. And what what, what we're going to see, what we're going to see is Mark is going to, the author of the book of Mark, Mark is going to use this story to teach us a few things. He's going to teach us that storms are necessary parts of our lives. Storms are absolutely necessary parts of our lives. He's going to teach us that there's nothing that God does not have power over. And he's going to teach us a little bit about faith. He's going to teach us that that faith relieves our fears. And faith is really what carries us through the hard times of life. So if you have a Bible, we're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 35. But before we do that, would would you pray with me?
God, we are thankful for the opportunity to be here today. We're thankful for the opportunity to open up your word. God, I thank you that this isn't uh, the opportunity to come and hear a pastor give his opinions about life. But God, this is an opportunity to open up your word and have your word speak to us. God, I pray as a pastor that you'd help me to step out of the way. That God, it would be your word that would be clear today. That you would give us understanding. That God, you would speak to us exactly what it is that we need to hear. That, God, you would strengthen us and you would grow us and you would comfort us right where we are today with whatever baggage we're bringing in, whatever this past week looked like. God, I pray that you would meet us right here, right now. Jesus, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, verse 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he, this is Jesus, said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. This, if we continue our context of where we've been in the, the, the gospel of Mark. This had been a long and strenuous day for Jesus. It began, his day began with some blasphemous accusations from the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the day. And, and they didn't like Jesus because Jesus taught a different message than what they taught. The Pharisees taught about there's all these religious rules. And if you're going to be a good religious person, you've got to follow all the rules. Whether that be you're only taking so many steps on a Sunday. Or whether that means uh, you can only associate with certain people. And Jesus came and taught something completely different. He taught a gospel of repentance. A gospel of grace. That it's grace that enables us to be uh, in right standing with God. And this upset the Pharisees and all of their religion that they had previously taught. And so they made a blasphemous accusation that suggested that Jesus wasn't from God, but that Jesus was controlled by Satan. Then after this accusation, Jesus's mother and his brothers came and they intended to arrest Jesus and take Jesus back to Nazareth because they had heard all these things that Jesus was doing. And they, 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 they felt like, hey, we need, he, He's out of his mind. We need to do something before Jesus really embarrasses himself, before he embarrasses our family. So they came to find Jesus in Capernaum so that they could arrest him and take him back to Nazareth. Next, after that, Jesus was once again pressed by the crowds. There were tens of thousands of people who were in the the region who came to, to meet Jesus. And these people didn't come because they wanted to hear his message. They didn't come because they wanted to hear about the mission, about why Jesus had came. They came because they heard that he was a healer, that he could perform miracles. And so you have tens of thousands of people who are pressing in on Jesus because they don't want Jesus. They want what Jesus can do that would personally benefit their life. They just want to, they don't want Jesus. They want what Jesus has to offer. And so Jesus, feeling the pressure of all the people, he steps into a boat to get away from the people. And he begins to do what he set out to do. We learned in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, I came out to teach about grace, to teach about repentance and belief in the gospel. So Jesus is out on the boat, and there's tens of thousands of people on the seashore, and he begins to teach them. He begins to teach them about what it really means to be a part of God's family. He teaches them that that being a part of God's family means that our heart becomes good soil. That we listen, and we receive, and we obey the word of God. It was very simple. This is what it means to be a part of God's family. It doesn't matter who, you, who, who your family is. It doesn't matter your religion. What it means to be a Christian, to be a part of the family of God, is that you receive his word and you do it. So finally, as evening is, approach, is approaching, Jesus is exhausted. 
And he gives the order to the disciples, hey, let's pull out of here. Let's, let's go. It's time for us to leave. So verse 37 says this. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. <coughs> Excuse me. Now the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level. And a, and a mere 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee sits Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. And what would happen is you would have the cold air from the mountain that would come down and would meet the warm air coming up from the Sea of Galilee. And there would be these, these, these great clashes of these airs coming together. And, and, and so there would be, there, as a result, there would be impressive thunderstorms and great squalls within that region, within that Sea of Galilee. Now, these fishermen in that region, they would have been experienced with this kind of storm. They would have been used to it. And several of Jesus' disciples were exactly that. They were professional fishermen. So they had experience with these types of storms. But there's something about the storm that's a little different. This storm was, was, was different than the normal storm. This was an incredible one. We, in fact, we learned a, a little bit later that these disciples feared for their life because this storm was so huge, was so massive. They thought they were going to, going to die. Now, there's this misguided idea that has taken shape in Christianity. There's this misguided idea that has taken shape in Christianity that, that, that there's this idea that God wants us to be happy. Like, that's God's ultimate desire for all of our lives, is that we would be happy. And so this idea says that, that, that God will solve all your problems. That if you follow God, he will solve all your problems. You'll have all the money you need. You'll have good health. You'll have everything you could imagine. And life will be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Now this, this sounds good. I mean, I'd follow that. That sounds great. I mean, it sounds so wonderful. But we have to understand, God isn't some cosmic genie in a bottle. If you rub him the right way, he'll give you just whatever you desire that makes you happy. That's not how life works, and that's not how faith works. See, God might not change your circumstances, but what God wants to do is God wants to change you. God may not change your circumstances, but he definitely wants to change you. And so what these disciples are, are, are learning in this moment is that miserable storms, like they're in right now, they are a vehicle that God uses to teach us about his power in our lives. See, storms, storms are essential to our personal development as well as our spiritual development. This is, something, this is something that happens in the faith world and just in the world itself. This is something that we see, that storms and trials are, are, are a necessary part of our growth. It's a universal application. Without trials, without difficulties, without stresses, even without failures, we would never grow to be all that we could become. Storms are a part of the process of our growth. In fact, there's a story about a guy by the name of Dr. Parnell Bailey, and he was writing a column in a newspaper one day, and he says, I was invited out to this orange grove. This orange grove was dying. Trees were dying all over the place. And so he said, I was invited out to this orange grove to assess and look, look around. And he says, one of the things that was wrong was they had their irrigation pump was busted. And they couldn't get the irrigation pump to work. And then it was one of those years where it was a drought. And they just didn't get enough water. And so this orange grove, trees are beginning to die. And Dr. Bailey's looking around and he says, hey, your neighbor over there, his trees look good. You know, what's the difference? And he goes over to uh, the neighbor's orange grove. 
And he says, hey, you know, I'm noticing that your trees look so healthy. You know, what's, what's the difference? And the neighbor says this. He said, my trees could probably go another two weeks without rain with no problem. He says, you see, when they were young, I frequently kept water from my trees. And so this hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. And so now my trees are the deepest, rootest trees in the area. And so while the other trees are being scorched by the sun, my trees are finding moisture at a greater depth. The whole idea is that when we experience trials and difficulties and adversity, they make us stronger. They make us deeper. I don't know what your storm is, but you know your storm. As much as we wish it wasn't the case, storms are a part of our lives. Storms are a part of my life. Storms are a part of your life. Whether they be cancer, unemployment, heart attacks, marriages falling apart, kids heading in the wrong direction. I mean, I wish I could stand up here and and I wish there was some great answer I could give you to fix your situation. I wish there was something I could say that would just make your storm disappear. I wish I could say, if you just try harder, you won't experience hardship. I wish I could say, if you just follow God perfectly, then you will never experience another storm. But that's not, that's not how life works. That's not how faith works. God isn't concerned about taking storms away. He's concerned about changing us. The storms, they are necessary for our growth. In fact, there are many mature believers who believe that every spiritual truth, everything that they have experienced uh, that has enhanced their existence has come through trials and afflictions. John Newton, he was a, he was a captain on a slave ship that would bring uh, slaves over to, to, uh, to Great Britain, to England. And uh, he later became a Christian, and eventually he became a vital voice in the move to abolish slavery in, in England. And most people know John Newton for his, uh, for his hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, That Saved a Wretch Like Me. But he's not, few people have heard of another hymn that he wrote called, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. It says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray. And he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. We want God's blessing. We want growth in our life. We want to become strong, but strength comes from these trials. Strength comes from these diversity, comes from the storm. The story continues in verse 38. It says, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So you got to picture this. The storm is raging all around. The sails of the ship are being torn apart. Water is filling the boat faster than the disciples can take buckets and dump the water back out. And where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's asleep in the stern of the boat. A couple things we need to acknowledge. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus was born as a man and lived as a man. 
This is why his birth is so significant. The incarnation of Christ. That God became one of us. God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. As a man, we see Jesus experiencing exhaustion just like you and I experience exhaustion during our hard times, during our trials, during our difficulties. And imagine, imagine the exhaustion that Jesus must have. I mean, you've got to picture this. He's in a boat with, with wood planks as the floor. That's what he's laying on. There, there, he's got nothing but a cushion for a pillow. There's the wind beating the boat. There's, there's water and waves coming over the boat. And he is able to sleep through all of that. Now, I don't know about you, but, but what does it take? What kind of day does it take for you to sleep through just about anything? Because that's the kind of day that Jesus is experiencing. That's the kind of exhaustion and, and, and wear and tear that he's experiencing at this moment. That he can see this kind of storm shows just how exhausted he is. But verse 38 continues and says, And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Mark says that the boat was, was just about completely swamped. It was almost full. The disciples could not bail water out fast enough. And the, the disciples knew that their boat was just seconds away from being totally filled. And these disciples would eventually drown and they would die. And they woke Jesus and, says, they woke Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? This picture goes to our hearts. Because anyone who's ever tried to live a life of faith in this world, you have felt like this at times. You have felt like this. Everything is going wrong. Everything is falling apart. You're sinking. And it seems that God is asleep. Things are falling apart. And it seems like God is absent. Things are falling apart. And it seems like God is completely unaware of the circumstances that you are going through. If you loved us, the disciples are saying, if you loved us, you wouldn't let us go through, uh, through this. Jesus, if you loved us, we wouldn't be about to sink. Jesus, if you loved us, you would not let us endure this kind of storm, this kind of trial, this kind of circumstance. See, we are so quick to mistakenly conclude that we're all alone. That no one, not even God, knows what is happening. No one, not even God, knows how we are feeling. We are so quick to make that wrong assumption. God knows every wave that falls on you. God knows every storm that we endure. He knows the rate of our heartbeat. He knows, he knows that our blood pressure is rising. He knows our innermost thoughts in our minds. He knows our emotions. He even knows our dreams. And the picture that I see is in this tiny boat, in this tiny boat that has Jesus and his disciples. It was, it was the object of the most, most heavenly attention at that moment. God's attention was not absent from that boat, but it was right there as they're going through the storm. And so it is with our difficulties. Nothing that we experience is beyond the knowledge of God. Nothing that we experience is something that God doesn't see and God doesn't know. So the story continues in verse 38. Excuse me, verse 39. It says, And Jesus awoke, rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus responds, and his first words 
are a, a command of utter simplicity. He didn't brace himself. He didn't roll up his sleeves. He didn't raise a magic wand. There's no, there's no uh, incantations. There's no hocus pocus. There's no magic. He simply said, peace, be still. That's it. There's an effectual hurricane going around him. And all Jesus does is says, quiet, be still. Just like you and I would do to a rowdy child. This tense that we read in this verse indicates that the wind stopped immediately. And the waves became calm very suddenly. The, the, the water becomes as calm as glass that you can see yourself in the reflection. And there's an eerie silence. You can just picture this eerie silence in that boat. As if the great hand had just brushed away the wind and the great hand had pressed down on the sea. This was a great way for Jesus to get their attention. Here's the truth that Jesus wanted them to see. He's going to take them a little bit of time to process this. And Jesus is going to have to show this again and again for them to understand. But Jesus was showing his disciples that all power belongs to him. God is powerful enough to calm this sea. And there's nothing, there's nothing that he doesn't have power over. He has power over everything. You see, in ancient cultures and ancient uh, legends, the sea, the oceans, they were a symbol of unstoppable destruction. The ocean full of fury. It was an ungovernable power that only God could control. In fact, there's a story of the Danish king Canute in the 11th century. One day, the Danish king is there, and all of his, all of his people, all of his uh, people in his kingdom have come to him, and they're lavishing him praise and just saying how great and how wonderful he is and how good of a king he is and, and how, how awesome he is. And the king looks at the people and says, am I divine? And he walks beside the sea, and he yells, stop! But the waves kept coming. And the waves kept coming. He was saying, he was saying, only God can stop the sea. Only God can stop the sea. I can't. I'm not God. I'm not worthy of all this praise and all this lavish that you're giving to me right now. Jesus, however, Jesus is able to exercise the power that only God has. Remember, he didn't have to conjure up some hocus pocus. He didn't have to call on some higher power. He simply speaks a word and the storm calms and the sea dies down. By his actions, by his actions, Jesus is demonstrating. He's saying, I'm not just somebody who has power. I am power itself. I'm not just somebody who has power. I am power itself. Anything in the world, any person in the world who has any power has it on loan from me because I am the source. I am the author. I am the creator of power itself. This story, Jesus calming the storm, this is a mighty claim. This is a mighty claim. And if you believe God's word to be true as I do, then we have to say this story really happened. And if this story really happened, then what does it mean for you and I? What does it mean for us? See, if Jesus is really Lord of the storm, then no matter what shape our world is in, no matter what shape your life is in, 
you will find that Jesus provides everything you can imagine. Jesus provides all the healing that you need. Jesus provides all the rest that you need. Jesus provides all the power that we need in our lives. If he can calm the storms, if he can calm that storm, then what can't he do in our lives? So Jesus calmed the, calmed the st- storm, and he's going to respond to his disciples next. And he begin to say, what's, what's he going to say to his disciples? Is he going to say, is he going to say, you know, I understand how you feel, guys. You know, it's okay. Let's hold hands. Let's go watch Oprah together. Nope. Verse 40. He said to them, why are you so unafraid? Have you still no faith? Can you imagine what the disciples must have been thinking? Jesus, why were we so afraid? Come on, we were afraid that we were going to drown. We were afraid that we were going to die. We were afraid that you didn't love us anymore because if you loved us, we wouldn't have to endure this kind of trial. We wouldn't have to endure this kind of fear. We wouldn't have to endure this kind of storm. If you loved us, Jesus, we were afraid that you didn't love us anymore. But Jesus asked this question. He says, do you still have no faith? He seems to be referring to all the things that Jesus has already taught them. To all the things that Jesus has already shown them. This word still should be circled or underlined in your Bible. Because it seems to indicate that Jesus has given them actually quite a lot of evidence. And quite a lot of of proof about his power. And about his goodwill. And about his love for the disciples. I mean these disciples, they've, they've been around Jesus for a period of time now. They've seen Jesus perform all sorts of miracles. They, they've seen Jesus heal Simon's mother-in-law when she was sick. They saw Jesus heal the paralytic man who was dropped down from the hole in the roof. They've seen Jesus heal the man with a withered hand. They've seen Jesus do these things. They've seen Jesus teach, not as one of the learned teachers, not as somebody with borrowed authority, not as one of the scribes of the Pharisees, but they've seen Jesus teach as the word of God himself. They've seen these things. And he's saying to them, after all you have seen, do you still not have faith? Do you still have no faith? Let's clarify what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, you poor men, you can't help yourselves because you don't have faith. No, see, when Jesus says this, this is both a rebuke and an exhortation to faith. He was not angry with them that they woke him up and they called him out. Rather, he was angry that they doubted his care in spite of all of the evidence that they have given him. See, what Jesus is going to do right now is he's going to teach us a few things about faith. We're going to learn a few things about faith. And first, what Jesus is saying is faith is an exercise. Everything they need for faith has been given to them. Jesus says, I've given you everything you need for faith. I've given you faith and all that it needs, but you aren't exercising it. You aren't exercising that faith. This is not passive. Jesus is saying, you must act on what you know. These disciples, they could have reminded themselves that Jesus does care for them. They could have reminded them that Jesus does care for people, that he's done all these things for these different people. They could have acted on that faith. They could have reminded themselves of all the love and all the miracles that Jesus has already shown them to prove his love, to prove his power, to prove his concern. Faith or trust in Jesus, then, is not automatic. It's not some feeling or an impulse. Rather, faith is something that needs to be exercised. 
It comes from thinking about the evidence. It comes from the facts. It comes from telling ourselves the truth and reminding ourselves the truth of who he is and what he has already shown to us. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is teaching about anxiety and about fear. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, he says, Why are you anxious about clothing? Anxiety and fear are closely related. He's saying, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. He says, why are you anxious? Consider the lilies. See how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? See, faith is not automatic. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not blind. But faith comes from considering and thinking. This is what he says. This is what he says. Why are you fearful? Consider the lilies. Consider what I've already showed you. Consider what is out there. Consider the truth about me. When Jesus says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's dealing with their fears. He's dealing with their fears by by questioning them. And telling them to think through what they know about him. He says, why are you afraid? Everything that you need for faith has been given to you. You just need to exercise it now. See, another way to describe what Jesus is teaching here is what Jesus is teaching these disciples is that when, when faith is active, fear vanishes. When, when, when faith is active, fear vanishes. When we put our faith in God, we no longer have to fear because we know exactly who God is. We know that God is capable. We know that God hasn't turned a blind eye. We know that God is powerful enough. We know that God is powerful enough to calm this storm with a simple word. And if we know that he's powerful enough to do that, then we certainly know that he's powerful enough to calm the storms in our life. And we certainly know that we have not escaped his presence. The text finishes in verse 41. And it says, And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him? What a good question. Let's answer that question by looking at the words that Jesus said about himself. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, you may have noticed, you may not have noticed, but the author Mark here has laid out this story deliberately to sound very much like another story in the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, the language is very similar to the language that, that the Old Testament writer used in the book of Jonah to describe Jonah's peril. They're almost parallel accounts. Now, this story of Jonah is a well-known story both in the church and outside of the church. But, but listen to these parallels. Both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat. Both of their boats were overtaken by storms. And and the storms were so severe that the experienced sailors said basically the same identical thing. We're going to die because of this storm. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in this horrendous storm. They're asleep on the boat during the storm. In both the stories, the sailors woke up the sleeper and they say, we're going to die. We're going to die. 
And in both cases, there was some miraculous divine intervention that caused the sea to be calmed. Further similarities, in both stories, after the miracle has happened, both sets of sailors were more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed. Two almost identical stories with one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, middle of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, there's only one thing that we have to do. You have to throw me overboard. Because if I perish, you will survive. If I die, you will live. So they threw Jonah into the sea, which doesn't happen in Mark's story. Or does it? See, if you stand back a little bit, you stand back a little bit and look at the whole story of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus, there's something else that we have to see that relates to this story. When Jesus said, there's one greater than Jonah is here, he's referring to himself. He's saying, I am the true Jonah. I am the greater Jonah. And he meant this. He meant, someday I'm going to calm all the storms. Someday I'm going to still all the waves. Someday I'm going to destroy destruction. Someday I'm going to break brokenness. Someday I'm going to kill death. And how can Jesus do that? How does he do that? He can do it because, all, because he went to the cross. He can only do it because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly, just like Jonah. He was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the ultimate storm. Under the ultimate waves. Under the waves of sin. Under the waves of death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink any of us. And that's the storm of eternal justice. Of what we owe for our wrongdoing. Of what we owe for choosing to live our lives for something other than God. What we owe for our sin. That storm wasn't calmed until it took Jesus' life and swept him away. See, each one of us, each one of us, this is a sight that we have to ingrain into our minds. This is a picture that we have to think back to when we face the storms and we start feeling alone. It's the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the ultimate storm of giving his life on that cross, of paying the penalty for our sin, of becoming the only bridge that leads to eternity into heaven. This is the picture that we have to ingrain in our minds. Because if you know this, if you know that he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm, but he went through and he gave his life for you, that he certainly won't abandon you in the smaller storms of life that we experience. If he was willing to give his life for you, he certainly won't abandon you in whatever it is you're going through. And whatever trials, whatever circumstances you have in front of you, if he was willing to follow through to all of that and give his life for you, he certainly isn't going to turn his back on you now. Someday, of course, we know that Jesus will return and he'll, he'll, he'll get rid of storms for eternity. But for now, the picture that we have to be reminded of, that our faith would be full is a picture of Jesus going to the cross for us. Because if he was willing to give his life for you, he certainly isn't willing to turn his back on you now. So what do we take away from this message today? I want you to understand just a couple of things. I want you to understand and believe that it is through storms. It is through afflictions. It is through hardships. It is through challenges 
that we grow. That if we're going to become all that God has called us to be, then we have to be willing to endure the storms. We have to be willing to go through the hard things because it is through those things that God makes us stronger. God isn't concerned about removing the storms in your life. He's concerned about changing each and every one of us so that we can endure the storms of life. Because without them, our lives and our faith will never amount to much. I want you to know this Jesus who calmed the storm with just a word. This is the same Jesus who can calm your storm with just a word. If he's powerful enough to to calm that storm, he's certainly powerful enough to to free you from whatever, whatever it is you're dealing with today. He's certainly powerful enough to show up today and to change your life today. And I want you to know that we can lay down our fear and we can exercise our faith. We can put our faith in Jesus because when we put our faith in him, fear vanishes. We put our faith in him, fear vanishes. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for meeting us here today. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that no matter what we're going through in life, no matter the pain that we're feeling, no matter the fear that is overwhelming us, no matter the circumstances that are beyond our control, no matter how hard of a, of a, of a path we feel like we've been given, that, God, we haven't been abandoned by you, that you are there, that, God, you are here today, and you are calling out to us to say, look, I am powerful enough to calm that storm on that sea and that day. And I am powerful enough to be in your life today. The question is, is will we exercise our faith? Will we exercise our faith? We know who you are. We know that you are good. We know that you are loving. We know that you have an everlasting love for us. The question is, will we exercise our, our faith because of that? God, I pray for those in here today who are dealing with storms, marriages on the rocks, addiction, secrets, pain, abuse. God, you know what the storms are. And God, I pray that you would engulf us with your love and with your presence. (coughs) That God, we would feel your presence around us today. That God, you would meet us right where we are. And that you would would extend to us that grace and that love that we desperately need today. That, God, we would walk out of here knowing that you are with us, knowing that you love us, that you care for us, and that you haven't left us alone in that storm, and that you aren't absent, but you are right there. God, I pray that you would, would, would help us to grow our faith in you. That we would realize faith isn't just a feeling. Faith is an action. And we actually have to, to, to put our faith in you. And, and when the times get hard and things get rough, that we have to be reminded of what we know about you, that you are good, that you do love us, that there's nothing that could ever separate us from your love. God, I pray as a church, I pray as a people, that that picture of you on the cross would be ingrained in our minds. 
And then the times that we think that we're alone, the times that we think that we've been abandoned, that we would be mindful that you loved us enough to give your life for us, to pay your life as a ransom so we could be forgiven. Because if you were willing to do that, Jesus, then there is nothing that you aren't willing to do for us. God, I pray as we head into this time of response, God, I pray for those who are struggling today, that today they would call out to you and say, God, I am sorry that I have not put my faith in you. Today, Jesus, I'm going to surrender myself to you. And I'm going to say, Jesus, you are good. Jesus, I need your presence in my life. Jesus, would you be here with me now? Would you put your hand on my life? God, I pray for those that are struggling that today that they would take this next couple of songs and they would just cry out to you and say, God, I need you now. God, I need your presence. I need your love to be wrapped around me so I would know I'm not alone. So I would know that that you have not abandoned me, that I will make it through this storm and I will be stronger for it. God, I pray for those of us who maybe aren't experiencing a storm, but we've been there. We know exactly what the storm feels like. God, I pray that we would have this opportunity in this time of response just to get lost in worship for who you are and praising you for how good you are. That, God, you have carried us through the hardship, that we are not alone, that we have never been alone, that you've been working out your plan and our life all along. God, you are wonderful. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. So I pray now, Lord, that you give us the ability to get lost in worship for you, that we would join in the worship team and be able to praise, sing our praise to you for how good you are. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for meeting us here today. In your holy and precious name, amen.